1: Busting through and living life full out Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like If you knew you could not fail Hey everybody, welcome to our good news segment You know what? Well, what was it about three months ago? Maybe three Remember you all heard me talk about this lawsuit That I was thinking I was part of? Remember I talked about what that was? Um, And remember... Many, many years ago, I said, we all need to be mindful of what we're spending, how it's being reported, and I gave you a couple of ways to do that. Well, guess what? I never thought in a million years that I would actually be talking about that lawsuit on air and helping everybody out there. If you followed sort of the instructions I gave you a bit back, I think we're going to update them. How could you qualify for $1,500 from a settlement with one of the top three credit reporting agencies? Yes, it is real. Jim Francis joining me here today, consumer law attorney. The question is, what do you do? How do you know if you can do it? And who is that leading credit reporting agency? Jim, great to have you.
0: Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me. So you're right. This is a case that involves Equifax, which is one of the big three credit reporting agencies. Um, and at issue here, Equifax was uh, misreporting public record information on credit reports yep. for people in the class. And public record information you know, is basically a tax lien or a judgment. So if the IRS takes out a lien against you or a state taxing uh, authority takes out a tax lien, that gets on your credit report. It did until this settlement. Uh, and then, or a judgment, somebody sues you, it could be a credit card company suing you for an unpaid balance, um, or it could be a personal lawsuit, either the, one of those two types of public record information. What we found was that type of information, which is really damaging to a credit score and really dropped someone's score and, and, and hurt their credit rating, that type of information was being reported by Equifax, and it was inaccurate. And it was inaccurate in two ways. Number one, they were reporting um, the information on the wrong person's report. So somebody with a similar name, you know, Bob Jones or Sally Thomas in, in Philadelphia, um, had good credit, all right? Great credit rating. And yet because Equifax was mixing up those two common names with somebody in Minneapolis who had a judgment or a tax lien and doesn't pay their bills, those people couldn't get credit. That was number one. But there were also people. For whom they did have a tax lien or a judgment at one point, but they paid, but they paid it off. And, and you can, you can still do better and raise your score. That's you. Okay. (laughs) So you paid it off. And then what happens is Equifax was not updating, um, the, the tax lien or judgment so that when you went and applied for credit, it looked like it was still unpaid, which is much worse than if you paid it a while ago. So there was those two types of errors at issue in the case because they just weren't going to the courthouse to get those updates. And that would be both of those things are really hurting
2: people.
1: They're really hurting people. My case is a little bit bizarre, and I tried to explain it the best I could. We're going to talk about how people can get some help. My case was I leased my vehicles and I turned in my vehicle. And, of course, when you turn in a vehicle, you get grounded. Well, guess what? Right. I didn't look at this particular agency. I looked at the others. And when I went back three years later, are you ready? Three years later and they pulled this report, they said, wait a minute, you still have your old car from whatever you, I said, no, I don't. You guys, I gave it back to you. I mean, it sounds simple, doesn't it? It sounds like, well, wait a minute, you lease a car, you take it back in. But what if the records don't get changed?
0: Right, right. So you need to to get a copy of your report. Uh, Hopefully the lender gives it to you. But if not, you can go and get it for free from each of the big three once a year at annualcreditreport.com. And then if you see that there, you have to dispute it and uh, provide as much information as you can. Do it by writing. I really encourage it by writing rather than online because you can supply more information than, uh, than the online kind of version. Um, and dispute it. And they have a duty to investigate that dispute, uh, and, and see whether the information is accurate or, or not. And also contact the company reporting the data. And both of them have to do investigations. And if they don't, you can bring a lawsuit against them. And, um, you can, uh, find a consumer lawyer who will take that case without charging you anything. Um, uh, there are, you know, a variety of people that do what I do. Um, but if, if you can't get something removed that's inaccurate, then unfortunately uh, your next step probably uh, is a lawsuit because they they won't, if if they don't. Yeah.
1: I did a full hour show on this because what you're talking about, everybody should be aware of, you know, the message that you have Jim is so powerful in the day and age we live in. I, I think if you could say it over and over again for everyone, there's something that we have to be responsible for. I never thought in a million years, that my car company wouldn't do the paperwork properly. I mean, we don't think about that, do we?
0: Right. right. You just think that they're going to do it, and then you find out later on yeah. when it's too late, which is why I really encourage my clients and and consumers in general. Mm-hmm. check your credit reports regularly. Don't wait until you apply for credit and just hope it's going to be accurate because it could take a while. Yeah. It, and assuming that they do they observe their duties and they investigate properly, it still could take you know sixty days to get it all done. So if you are you know you're going to apply for credit for something that's important to you, yep. start checking now.
1: Okay. Let's tell people what ADR is. And because I think this is for folks out there that are thinking, ah, I'm never going to get anything. It's never going to happen. I heard about it, but it's not real. But this is real now. I know it's real because I got the email. Yeah. I filled out the application.
0: Right. So... Uh, the settlement has two components to it. Um, one is uh, Equifax. we got Equifax to stop reporting public records entirely for the next five years. Uh, and if they ever want to start reporting public records again, they have to adhere to strict guidelines and get court approval. But two, you asked about the ADR program. So what we also established through the settlement was that consumers can go online to the settlement website starting now through December 2021 and submit an online claim without the need for a lawyer, without the need for, you know, consulting any counsel or anything like that. It's a streamlined process that we call ADR, which means Alternative Dispute Resolution, uh, so you don't have to go to court. Um, and you submit your information about what happened to you, uh, what type of information was being reported, su- supply any documentation that you have, but be as precise as you can and explain as much as you can. I was denied X uh, as a result of this, And we have a streamlined process where you can get $1,500. Wow. Um,
1: I want to ask you, it almost sounds like something from a movie. You know what I'm saying? Here's what I mean it's like you hear about these situations and you hear about the hard work that has to go into winning a case like this. But this happened. I want to ask you, what are the lessons learned across the board? from your perspective because you're a consumer law attorney you see we are in the digital world like crazy town right what are the right. three lessons you so, want to point to if you don't mind
0: well two lessons uh, certainly okay. are that we live in a in a digitized age more than ever and there is so much information being reported about us every day all over electronically it's mm. different than, than 40 or 40 years ago even 30 years ago when credit reports were paper you know goods right now everything's just being sold and, and and so there's so much information out there that's being reported about you and so much of it is inaccurate so you have to be more vigilant than ever uh, about your own credit rating and your own reputation um so there's so much information that that just unfortunately is out there you, you you've got to be conscientious and you've got to be vigilant uh otherwise um you you could be victim to some you know inaccurate information or being denied something really really important um so that's certainly one lesson another lesson is that these huge companies which sell uh consumer information the big three credit reporting agencies as well as other data uh aggregation companies out there um it's just a commodity for them, right? They just sell data and they want to do it as cheaply as possible. And in order to get it right, it takes money and it takes care. And they simply do not want to um, apply that the level of care necessary to get it right. So there is a flood of misinformation out there. Um, So now the, the last lesson that I would point out is what's good is there are some good consumer laws out there, like the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which are designed to allow you to see what data is being reported about you and get that information for free. Um, so that's good, is that there is more transparency than ever in terms of the information uh, that companies are reporting about you. But you have to be your own advocate today. Um, you can't be passive. You've got to be on top of uh, what information is being sold about you to make sure that it's accurate uh, and it's not defamatory.
1: So I want to ask you this, in the world that you live in, I mean, this every day, you see the battles that we are facing, and you take charge of them, and off you go. Um, I want to ask you this, in, in this idea of the digital world, but also, you know, as a consumer law attorney, how do people assess if they were damaged? Because the hardest thing for me when I was filling out the form was to explain what the damage was right because if you talk to your friends they're like oh yeah okay just change the report but then when i explained mm-hmm. the consequence of this that i didn't even know of like i didn't know because i was ignorant and didn't right. change my report but from where you sit there's a different level of damage and everybody's different can we talk about what that means the word damage please
0: Yeah. So, uh, the Fair Credit Reporting Act is pretty consumer-friendly in in the sense that it allows you to recover any actual damage um, that is caused by uh, the reporting of inaccurate information by a credit reporting agency. And what that could mean is, obviously, the most obvious forms are credit denials. You apply for credit, and you get denied. You apply for mortgage, you get denied. Um, But that's not the only type of damage that the Fair Credit Reporting Act uh, provides compensation for your um, you know humiliation emotional distress uh, your worry your stress um, all of those things are are also damaged under the uh, the statute that you can get compensation for as well as the gen- general damage to your reputation oh yeah and I'll give you an example I'll give you an example of that mm-hmm. so you might not recall being denied credit uh, you might not recall uh, whether or not a, a creditor uh, saw this this damaging defamatory information, but if you look at the inquiry section of your credit report, that will show you each company that that information was published to, and for each of those publications, that was a defamatory publication. If they were reporting something inaccurate that impacted your credit score, that's credit defamation. That's also damage. Um, wow. But for the, for this settlement, um, you know, I want to encourage people to go to uh, EquifaxPublicRecordSettlement.com. It outlines exactly the type of, of, of claim at issue here, the type of information um, that was in, uh, embraced by this lawsuit, what you can do to make your streamlined claim, and the type of information that you, that you need to submit in order to recover the $1,500. Um, so it's all explained there, EquifaxPublicRecordSettlement.com. But uh, I really, really want to encourage people, if, if you think you're you, you might be affected here, or you had a judgment or a tax lien that was reported about you by Equifax, Go to the website. We've set up a, a process that's very streamlined. It's not difficult for you to get your compensation, um, and certainly look into it.
1: Well, wow. uh, you know, Jim, I, I can't thank you enough for everything you and your team is doing around this. Uh, one more time, would you tell folks what the website is? And then I, I have one last question. I'd love to know your personal message. What you'd like to leave us with?
0: Sure. Um, the settlement website is Equifax settlement dot com, and I'll say it one more time, Equifax settlement dot com. Uh, as for my personal message, uh, I I, I kind of mentioned this already, but you really need to be your own advocate today. We are just our information is just a commodity to this global digitized world. Everybody's selling our data for profit. Uh, I don't think it should be allowed, but I don't make the laws. I just try to enforce them. Um, You are just a commodity. So be as vigilant as you can about uh, and be your own best advocate in terms of uh, uh, monitoring what information is being reported about you.
1: Yeah, Jim, thank you so much for today. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you for having me.
1: All right, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. And as I said before, if you do not check your credit and your credit scores, please, after this interview today, bump that up to a top priority. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back.
3: TransformationTalkRadio.com
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, Welcome to our amazing good news segment. Let me tell you what the good news is about this. The good news is that there is somebody out there looking out for how we treat, how we care, what our responsibilities are for our animal friends. And today joining me to talk about information that's a little bit shocking. Um, But the reality of it is, if we don't bring a level of awareness, we're never going to be able to do anything about it. Dr. Laura Shields is Corporate Responsibility Officer for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, better known as PETA. Today, we are here to talk about what is happening. What is happening as we think about some, uh, some of the work in undercover investigations that lead to more ethical treatment of animals, and something very specific today, alpaca wool investigation. What did it lead to? It leads to corporate responsibility. It leads to awareness, and it leads to change. Um, Thank you, Dr. Shields, for joining me here today. It's great to have you. Oh, thank you, Doctor Pat, for having me. And what a wonderful intro!
3: I really appreciate the the wonderful things you said about the work that we're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's incredible. Um, and most people don't know your full name; they only know the acronym. And when somebody, when a company comes out, and people don't actually know what PETA stands for, but knows what you do, it's brilliant in the work that you've done. Um, look, <laughs> and, and some people say Peta. But that's another show now, look, <laughs> Right.
3: Uh, <laughs> our, our reputation precedes us. Yeah, exactly. They, they yeah. know what PETA stands for. <laughs> yeah,
1: actually, I'm one of those people. Even that if they actually, don't know. Yeah, I'm actually one of those people that did say PETA once upon a time. OK, just saying. Um, look, here's another <laughs> common ex- mistake. <laughs> here's another example of breakthrough. This is a breakthrough. Let's talk about what yes. this investigation was about what was discovered, and what's being done. Absolutely. And you
3: hit the nail on the head with what's being done, because that's the whole point of doing these investigations. So, yeah, PETA did um, the first ever undercover investigation into the alpaca industry. Mm. And this took place in Peru, which is where the majority of the world's alpaca wool comes from. And you can go to PETA.org and see the footage for yourself, and it shows workers violently hitting, kicking the alpacas, tying them down, roughly shearing them, leaving them with gaping bloody wounds, which then the workers crudely sewed shut. And during this process, the alpacas cried out, they vomited in fear, horrific, horrific abuse. And because of this investigation though, major retailers are banning alpaca wool, and that's how we're stopping the cruel industry. We're we're stopping them from holding alpacas down, from mutilating them, from standing on their necks,
1: I I just want to know how you got in there. I I mean, to be honest with you, being in that particular industry, based on what I know of it, to be able to explore this and see it, first of all, it's gut-wrenchingly painful. Let's just say that. Uh, Number two, it doesn't have to happen. I mean, there's a way... Uh, that the industries are actually able to gather that wool without being abusive—that's the thing that makes me a little bit crazy. Uh, that's it's. You are certainly correct in that this doesn't need to happen,
3: and I would push back and say that there there really isn't a way that you can have you can gather wool without harming the animals. And let me explain. Oh, that's I'm so glad you pushed Alpaca. back on me.
1: I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> You're going to be an yes. official I mean, Dr. Pat champion as a result of that. Because the minute I said it, I said, oh, what the heck did you just say, Basile? Um, <laughs> uh, there really isn't. So yes. I, want, I want to walk that back. There really isn't. And thank you for keeping me on our toes. But the bottom line is, how did you get in there? And let me just ask you, what the heck can you do about it? Yeah. Yeah. So
3: this was actually... Uh, Most of the investigations take place absolutely undercover. um, And it takes a lot of, as you said, uh, people who can withstand gut-wrenching actions taking place right in front of them. And this one was no different. However, the farm is the the world's largest privately owned alpaca farm. There's about 4,000 alpacas there. And this was open to visitors. This was a prearranged visit. So the workers Knew that they were being observed. They knew that there were people from the public uh, in there watching what was being done. So, can you imagine then if this is what's happening where they're slamming pregnant alpacas onto tables? They're strapping them tightly by the legs into a restraining device that resembled basically a medieval torture rack, stretching them in opposite directions, nearly wrenching their legs out of their sockets, holding onto their sensitive ears, and the alpacas are crying out they're literally screaming if you go to listen to that investigation you can the screams are something that you can never unhear um ripping their skin in the process of sharing them all of this took place publicly so can you imagine what goes on behind the scenes privately when they're moving faster when no one's around
1: yeah i mean i, but I the, yeah go uh, ahead i'm sorry go ahead
3: Oh no, uh, just your, your other question is like, what can be done? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. People can, people, people have the choice and they are the ones that will help stop this abuse, that, that it will only stop when people stop buying alpaca. So it's consumers. And this can be said of leather or wool or any other type of animal skin that once they see that that's uh, in the material that uh, the product that they want to buy, if they pick up a sweater, it says alpaca don't buy it, put it on the shelf. That's, that's really how we can make a difference As our money determines whether animals live or die and they can purchase so many other uh, products that are ethical, that are animal friendly, that don't involve the systemic suffering and cruelty of, of animals, and especially of alpacas in this case.
1: So I looked at the article that was done in the New York times and so yeah. I did a little homework because I just needed to see, um, the extent by which PETA is making a difference and the work that you're doing in particular. I, I love, I love the quote that you have and I want to piggyback off it for this interview. One of the quotes you have is you... we're no longer storming the offices of fashion companies, right? Now we're getting invited mm-hmm. to come sit down at the boardroom table. Look, I, 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 I have a little part in this as I tried to save the Mustang horses, you know, that we have here in the United States a number of years ago, but the work that you've done to get at the boardrooms, that really says something. How successful do you think now what you're doing, how you're doing it, how many more boardrooms are you targeting to sit at the tables with? Um, And, how does this all tie back into sustainability? Uh,
3: those, I appreciate the the kind words that you said about the work that we do, and you're absolutely you're absolutely correct in the fact that yes, before we really had to push our way in, push our way in, push our way in, and now um, we're getting invited. Come on in, sit down, tell us about it, yeah. and that's because <clears throat> um, we. I, I think a lot of people just aren't aware that we have this very robust behind-the-scenes department where we work uh, in corporate responsibility, where we work with hundreds of retail companies. So we are talking to hundreds of companies. Um, anybody that will, will will sit down with us and talk to us, which is the vast majority of companies, I think, because they realize now that one, we're relentless, and two. Yeah animal exploitation (laughs) it can't be brushed aside anymore Uh, major shifts are happening in society as you said with sustainability you have consumers who are uh, they're demanding that companies stand up um, to issues of social injustice of uh, their supply chains what takes place and um the way that they're sourcing materials the environmental impact that, that has and of course the impact that it has on animals and this all ties into companies very pressing need to address corporate responsibility and they're doing that and so we fold very nicely into that what we're pushing them to do to not use anything that comes from an animal um, is a hundred percent reasonable it's a hundred percent doable and a lot of times companies often have no idea what's happening to animals for, like with alpaca. Um, this was the first time that we have pulled back the veil on what was going on in the alpaca industry. And the response was overwhelmingly uh, one of shock and horror, of course, but also such a positive response from retailers who said, okay, you know, we're, we're no longer going to source it. We've got spree overstock.com Marks and Spencer, they all banned alpaca Gap." banana republic h&m they cut ties with the farm's parent company and we have so many other companies right now considering this issue because as you said we do we go behind the scenes we go to every company that's selling alpaca in this case and say this is what you're supporting yeah How you you know you need to you need to not do it yeah <laughs> so uh yeah, I have they'll, a friend in retail. And they
1: listen. Yeah, they do listen. I have a friend in retail. And the bottom line is they always listen to the interviews I do with with your with PETA, with the organization. I just want to say to everybody, go to PETA.org, P-E-T-A.org. Lots of information. But I have a friend in retail. And every time I do one of these interviews, he, he always calls me. I give him a little text and I give him a heads up. He said to me, something to me last week that was really interesting. He said, you know. It used to be we worried about different things. We worried about who's producing the clothing in our stores. Now, our worst nightmare is an article shows up with our company's name on it and PETA in the same sentence. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and I said to him, I said to him, you know what, dude, if that's what it takes for you to stop doing whatever you're doing to harm animals, I'm happy for it. But there's also something to really point to here in my one minute that I have left. And that is, we have so many other options now, Dr. Shields. I mean, we really do. We have the industry, the fashion industry, mostly trying to step up. What's your vision and and your personal message for everybody today? And thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, well, thank you, Dr. Pat,
3: for giving us this platform to be able to reach so many people because that's the main thing is getting, getting people to realize that everyone can make a difference. Every single person, the individual choices that they can make, um, they can choose not to purchase anything that comes from an animal. I would ask people to go to PETA.org, go to investigations, click on alpaca, and there they can send a letter. They can take action. They can
1: send a letter to anthropology and ask them to ban alpaca. I love it. Thank you so much. Okay, your personal vision. Hit me up with that.
3: Uh, I would like a world where animals are free to be who they are, free from exploitation, free from abuse, and that everything is animal-friendly and environmentally friendly.
1: I love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Shields. And everybody, PETA.org, pass the word. Let's do something. Thank you so much for the interview today.
3: Thank you so much, Dr. Pat.
1: All right, we're going to take a short break. Everybody, we'll be right back.
3: Your inspiration all day on TransformationTalkRadio.com.
1: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our Good News segment. And this is Good News segment. You know, over a 16-year period, you have heard us talk about the many, many breakthroughs in health and wellness. And one of the breakthroughs, I don't think that I thought that I would see the progression of positive news as it continues to emerge for advanced breast cancer patients, but it does. And joining me here today, Dr. Denise Yardley, Principal Investigation, Sarah Cannon Research Institute, is going to give us the up-close and personal review of what has been discovered, what the advances are, and what we're really dealing with. Uh, Dr. Yardley, great to have you here. Thank you so much. Um, Lost too many close friends uh, to cancer, Um, have become part of the journey to find out what we can do uh, to reduce those numbers. And here we are with you um, uh, talking about metastatic breast cancer and Those are the words that most women do not want to hear. Give us an update on what you've discovered and where we are.
4: So when we deliver, you know, the unfortunate diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer, which either comes from a patient who had had a previous history of cancer and, and it comes back and shows up in liver, lung, bone, or someone that walks in um, and we, with a new diagnosis of cancer and during the workup is found to have more disease than we thought with disease distant to the breast, you know, I think we then have to to talk to the patients in in that setting that we we aren't, um, we don't have a curative therapy yet but that we have therapies that offer patients years of survival. And, and with years of survival, we are also hopeful with new agents that are developing that continue to add on to that. Um, what I think is, is important and a message that I, um, you know, try to deliver with patients is, you know, we we really are in a, a situation now when we talk about advanced metastatic breast cancer, turning it into a chronic disease, much like diabetes or heart disease, or kidney disease, where we don't cure that either, but with therapy on board, we're able to manage the disease and the patients are able to maintain a quality of life and, and participate in, in their life outside of the oncology office. and Kiskali is one of the newer drugs that just changed the standard of care for the hormone receptor positive advanced breast cancer patients and it's very novel in many ways. It's a new class of drugs um, referred to as the CDK4-6 inhibitors. It's a pill therapy. It's not chemo. It's a very specific targeted biologic pathway that has been unraveled in um, cancer oncology or breast cancer tumor growth and it inhibits the growth of cancer cells and it partners very well with the standard anti-estrogen or endocrine therapy which are largely pills or even an injection to manage the hormone receptor positive advanced breast cancer group and the discovery really came with Cascali from results from trials where women with advanced breast cancer were treated. Um, One group was treated with the standard of care um, hormone blocking therapies and the other group was treated with the hormone blocking therapies with the addition of Kiskali, a a pill to their therapy. Um, And I think we were just um, very uh, overwhelmed by that resounding message of benefit. We saw that it doubled the amount of disease control that is not weeks or months, we're talking about years that a a patient can be on this pill um, from the standard group, almost doubling it from, you know, nine to 12 months to two years on a therapy before the cancer woke back up and needed a change. And this is all with a pill added to standard therapy that patients take outside of the oncology office at home. They still need monitoring, but they're not coming in for hours at a time every week or every other week for a chemotherapy infusion, and that surrogate benefit of really controlling that disease now that I'm saying, I expect you to be on this for a year or two, to saying, I expect you to be around and surviving because it also improved cancer survival rates of these advanced breast cancer patients two years. Um, So with that, we we were so exciting and that led to the FDA approval and it really replaced our standard of care of just hormone blocking therapy to now this combination with KISCALI or another CDK4-6 inhibitor. I think the other really critical message that I was um, able to be a part of was looking at data from that Mona Lisa 3 and 7 trial that, that resulted in Cascali's approval um, at the American Society of Clinical Oncology virtual meeting um, that we looked at the the group that presented with advanced breast cancer that had the worst prognosis, that most aggressive disease, that disease that shows up in the liver um, or in the lung, these life sustaining organs and so when you know I tell a patient it's in your liver or you have another spot in your liver you know you can just dramatically see um, the concern that comes well we were able to Tease out that group and and look at what happened to the patients who were treated on the trials that had this poor prognostic location of disease. And we're able to say Kiskali works there as well, and they derive that benefit too. And so when I have a patient that has cancer in their liver, I have, you know, the ability to say, because is a great drug, I expect you to have disease control for a year or two and your survival to be years, and I expect it to work in your liver and lung. Um, we've shown that we've looked at it, and that drug is active. It goes head to toe in the body. Um, and so I think that's a nice reassuring message that it's active in the most aggressive uh, type of breast cancer coming back um, that's hormone receptor positive in those that may have just one or two spots in bone or in a lymph node, um, that both groups are going to derive that benefit.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there are so many things I can point to. I want to point to a couple of them right out of the gate, though. Um, First of all, you know, this isn't just an, uh, an update, let's say. This is a transformative new approach, and that's my first takeaway. Um, absolutely, you, you know what I'm saying. I mean, it, it, you know, I, yeah. I sort of position this as an update, but it's really not. I mean, this is transformative in the treatment of metastatic breast cancer.
4: It, it absolutely is. It has changed the face of that disease um, for, in. in in my practice with patients, um, dramatically, yeah. uh, you know, that I can really have strong body of evidence to really talk about the benefits and what the likelihood is of that patient, you know. We're not saying, I expect you to live weeks or months. We're we're saying years at every um, parameter that we're talking about. And that is a change. Um, and, you know, it it, it is a, a bit of a relief for patients, you know, that you can get on with parts of your life and, and planning with the expectation with a medicine like Kiskali or the CDK4-6 inhibitors and some of our other new drugs. Um to have disease control that's going to keep you functioning excellent quality of life mm-hmm. and we're talking about years I, I can't even put a time frame yeah. because during that time yeah. My expectations are newer drugs are going to um, be equally uh, active and have a role in managing these patients, um, and so that's always our our hope on the journey is that, all right, your cancer woke up, but in the time you've been on this disease, that last two and a half years, we have another drug on the market. Yeah. Um,
1: so it gives a lot of hope. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about is just really quickly uh, before I know I've got a heart out in this interview. How do people find mm-hmm. out more about this? That's has got to make sure we give them some information here.
4: Sure. Sure. You know, and I always suggest that patients reach out to their healthcare provider. That's always going to yeah. be excellent resource to make sure it's appropriate for that patient and their disease. But, you know, I think that the internet, Cascali specifically, we can look at the um, manufacturing website, which is Um I think there's excellent cancer um, awareness websites, American Cancer Society, mm-hmm. which is cancer.org or cancer.net, there's cancercare.org. I also think for patients um, from the American Society of Clinical Oncology, patients living with cancer, which is www.plwc.org, provides a wealth of resources, you know, that may help them in their next meeting with their yeah. oncologist or healthcare provider um, to just empower them with yeah. a bit more um knowledge about different evolving treatments for their disease.
1: You got to do that. I mean, somebody like me who has had uh, a, uh, let's just call it, they called it a mystery disease. Um, For somebody like me, the questions you ask. And who you bring to the table to help you ask them is so important. You know, when my friend had breast cancer, uh, 16 of us showed up at the hospital in a conference room to help her ask the questions because you can't. Um, But, you know, I want people to educate themselves. I mean, like many of the solutions we provide, there are side effects and you should get educated about them. But here's the question for you. And I know I got like a minute left. Is this something mm-hmm. that if you are on chemo now, chemotherapy now, you can bring to your doctor and say, hey, can we switch it over? I know I give you 30 seconds for that, but I'm just curious.
4: Sure. So, you know, patients were um, on some of the trials pre-treated with chemotherapy. Okay. Now, I always say, stay with whatever's working. So I don't jump ship um, for uh, for a new treatment. I exhaust the treatment I'm on until it doesn't work. Right. But yes, after chemotherapy, if they're hormone receptor positive and they haven't had a CDK4-6 inhibitor, right. we've shown that group benefits as well. So it's just changing the sequence. Um, my goal is to kind of keep chemo on the back burner. Yeah. But sometimes chemo is appropriate up front and doing a, a CDK4-6 inhibitor, cascala. Um, as the next line of therapy has been shown to be active from the trials as well. And that was shown in, in the Mona Lisa trials.
1: Look, if you ever have more time, I would like to talk to you about the psychological impact of this because here's my takeaway. Having sat through many chemos, many IVs, there's a psychological aspect of this that says, wait a minute, I'm going to take a pill now. Because unless you've sat in that chair, it's hard to imagine what that's like for a patient to go into those treatments multiple times every week. And so this is not just for me a, a breakthrough on the treatment, but I venture to say if you ever decided to study the positive aspects of this from a psychological and a lifestyle perspective, call me.
4: Okay, absolutely. But it's very very true. It does, it does dramatically yeah. change your your life and your outlook.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for today. I know you've got to run. If you could just give me personal message.
4: I think the personal message is for all of the patients, you know, to continue to have hope and talk with your healthcare providers because at every turn we are unraveling the mysteries of cancer tumor growth and learning how to put forth more and more therapeutic accurate interventions.
1: Thanks, Doctor. Keep doing what you're doing. Let's take a short break. Everybody, we'll be right back. Get empowered.
2: TransformationTalkRadio.com
1: Hey everybody, welcome. Welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in. Look, we're doing a whole series of good news segments and this is good news. You know, when we're thinking about our lives and how our lives have changed, you know, we're also thinking about our children. We're thinking about our grandchildren. We're thinking about anybody that wants to get a higher education. But the question really is, you know, what do parents know or not know? I'm talking to a parent the other day, said to me, honestly, I don't even know what I don't know about how my child is going to fare out in this upcoming college year. Well, I want to talk about one thing in particular, the College Board. And what are they doing? Lacey Allen is joining me here today, Associate Director of Scholarship Strategy at the College Board. And just so you know, in the background, in case you don't hear from people, People like Lacey, people like Organized at the College Board, they are doing stuff. That's why we need to tell you about it. Lacey, it's great to have you. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. I I think when I said we don't don't know what we don't know, I mean, I'm talking to parents who are basically saying we're trying to do the best we can, but they don't know what you've got in your strategy and what you all have stepped up to do. So let's just give everybody a laser, almost like speed dating, 10-minute interview of what you're up to. Tell me about why this was so important for you all to come out in front with the new scholarship program.
2: Sure. I think you just hit it extremely importantly. Really, the the core of why we created this new scholarship program is because we heard from students and families across the country that they were confused and overwhelmed by the college application process. They wanted a simple guide or roadmap to share um, what to do and when to do it. And so I like to think of this program as a combination between a college planning guide and a scholarships program. We award $5 million each year to students across the country. And how it works is it lays out six key steps that students should take during their junior and senior years of high school. and. These steps help them plan, prepare, and pay for college. And as students do each one of these steps, they earn chances at scholarships that range from $500 to $2,000. And when they complete five out of the six steps, they earn a chance at a $40,000 scholarship.
1: Wow. You know, I want to just be really clear uh, right now for the moment for people that may be listening and (laughs) maybe thinking, well, $500, what can you do with that? Let me tell you something. Where I grew up, in the projects, in the Bronx, $500 towards anything that I was going to do or my nieces or my nephews wanted to do to, to really move on with getting the education I wanted, it was a boost up. And so what I love about what you're talking about is there's going to be opportunities for students, if they follow the guideline, to get multiple Uh, opportunities at funding for their future correct yes that's absolutely correct
2: each one of these steps is an individual scholarship and so the power is um, as you do a step you're eligible for that scholarship and when you do all six steps you're eligible for a really big uh, scholarship
1: I like the really big one Um, Lacey look before we get too far ahead I just want to make sure we mention a bunch of times how people can go find out more
2: Absolutely. To learn more, uh, they can visit the College Board Opportunity Scholarships website at cb.org slash opportunity. And there uh, you can uh, read more about the program, each step, how students become eligible, as well as sign up and begin starting to take
1: these important college planning steps. Okay, are you allowed to give us a run through on what the six steps are? Absolutely. Yes. Um, The very first step is.
2: build your college list and to do that students must uh, build a college list of six colleges um, to be eligible for the $500 scholarship. The next step is practice for the SAT and so using our free official SAT practice on Khan Academy when students practice for six hours they become eligible for the scholarship of a thousand dollars and then the next step is improve your score and that's all about showing how practice pays off. Um, and so when students practice for the SAT and if they show, show a score improvement in their scores, uh, they're eligible for this scholarship of $2,000. And then um, we have strengthen your college list. And so that's all about revisiting that college list that students created and just making sure it has a really good mix of academic safety fit and read schools. Um, and so when students do that, they're eligible for a $500 scholarship uh, and then we have the last two, which is complete the FAFSA. So by filling out the, the free government form to apply for federal financial aid, uh, you can also tell us that you filled out the FAFSA and you could be eligible for this mm. scholarship. Um, and it all really leads up to the final one, uh, the apply to colleges scholarship. So that's when students apply to at least two schools, and that would be two-year schools, four-year schools, uh, any schools they're interested in they'll be eligible for this last scholarship of $1,000.
1: You know what I love about this? And I don't know if you're talking a, a lot about it because I know these interviews are really short. What I love about it is these are motivational steps. And let me just, let me just see if I'm on track with what I'm about to say. And please feel free to correct me if I'm not. When I think about this and I think about the coaching work I do in the world, these are motivational steps And what that means is sometimes, and even for me, I went back to school at like 41 years old. This process was like daunting. We didn't have this. And when I look at what you're doing, what you're doing is you're breaking this down into piece parts that are manageable and doable. And then you're saying, if you do this one step there's a reward over here for it. Now it's a motivation for you to let me go do the second step. And I love the brilliance of that.
2: Thank you. I think you just hit it all perfectly. Um, I like to think of this as a win-win. So um, not only are our students taking each step to get closer and closer to, um, you know, just on that goal and pathway to college, but there's incentives to motivate and reward students for doing all of those key important actions. And so whether you win a scholarship or not, you're, you're just one step closer to being college-ready.
1: Now, uh, is this for all the states in the United States? What about Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands? Where, where are we with that? We have listeners all over. I just sure. want to be, be clear here. Uh,
2: that's wonderful. The program is open to all students in the class of 2021 who attend high school in the U.S., Puerto Rico, and other U.S. territories. And so um, currently it's open for students in the class of 2021, so rising seniors, um, but juniors out there, so students in the class of 2022, this program will open up to them later this year.
1: Yeah, I have to say this, you know, the message may not get out there to parents in this way. But my own experience going back to school later in life or, you know, advanced educate, what do we call it? Do we actually even call it advanced education anymore? I don't even know. Um, But the more we can get proactive about our future, the more the reality will manifest our future. And that goes for uh, these just amazing young adults who will become our leaders. I mean, isn't that an important part, too, is to get people excited and stimulated to do something which otherwise could be a little scary?
2: Absolutely. I know when when I was in high school and I when I worked with high school students, it's hard to know where to start. And sometimes when you get overwhelmed, the first thing you want to do is just shut down and just say, oh gosh, I don't even know where to start. I'll just, I'll figure it out later. And so what I love about this program is it really pieces everything out. So you're not having to do everything at once. You really start, um, it's really wherever you are on your college application process. And for students who are the high achievers, for students who are C students, it's it's really for everyone.
1: You know, can I, can I, I got a few more minutes. You mind if I just go off topic a little bit, Lacey? Just a, a minute. Sure, go for it. So here's, yeah. here's what I've learned in 16 years doing something that started out with me dialing a wrong phone number. Seriously, that is the story. Um, I was never expected to have the future I have. 10 years in a doctoral program, your friends think you've lost your mind when you do something like this, something you love. How about you? I mean, your pathway, your journey, I mean, look at what you're doing to transform transform the way we understand and empower our youth. What was it about you and growing up? What, what touched your heart to get you so engaged and passionate about this, Lacey? Do you mind if I ask you that?
2: No, not at all. I think it's a wonderful question, you know, and I, I grew up um, and I think I, what really motivated me is I had a, um, I was lucky to have really amazing teachers and counselors who showed me that they cared and they helped open up my eyes to so many different possibilities. Never in my life did I think I would be um, getting to work for this amazing program. And I live in New York City and it it was never even crossed my mind, but I had people along my path in life who encouraged me um, to try new things, to reach outside my comfort zone and to follow my passions. And I'm really excited that I had a a couple my family and a a couple mentors along the way who just, you know, helped motivate me and and unlock some doors I thought were closed for my, for me.
1: You know, I I love that question. And by the way, I just asked you one of the questions I've been asking close to 10,000 people, but part of this is our backstory. It's our story where we get to talk about our lives. What is your and the, and the board, what are vision? I want to know your vision in an ideal world, right? And you're sitting out there, and maybe we got our magic lamp, and you and I are like rubbing that lamp, and we got something showing up, <laughs> and we're like, oh, "Okay, this is what I want for these students." What might that be?
2: I think my 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 magic goal, my my hope for really students and the youth of, uh, of our future is that every student um, gets to do whatever they want, and I think that. So many times, I think you mentioned earlier, hearing from a parent, like you don't know what you don't know. And I think the same applies to students is, um, you know, you don't really know what careers are out there or what life possibilities are out there. So my hope is that every student has someone in their life that's cheering for them and that's rooting for them. And they also get to, um, through living and learning, they get to unlock their, their own potential.
1: So last question. Website, again, got to have it. Personal message. What do you want to leave us with? Absolutely.
2: Um, so the website for the College Board Opportunity Scholarships. which, again, if you are even thinking about um, going to college, I absolutely recommend that you go to our website at cb.org slash opportunity um, that is cb as in CollegeBoard.org/slash/opportunity to learn more about our program. And there's a really big deadline coming up at the end of March. And to be eligible for those $40,000 scholarships, students must sign up for the program and complete that very first step: build your college list by July 31st.
1: Man, I'm telling you, I can't, I cannot express how important this is. What you're doing, I cannot even tell you. You know, my first go around, Lacey, when I had a passion to go back to school, I completely flunked out on all of the process steps to make that happen. That's how important what you're doing is to me personally. You know, if I had the knowledge and this program, when I was trying to figure it out when I was in my 20s, I'm telling you, this would have been a more opportunistic possibility journey and that's what you're doing for people thank you so much for today thank you for having me again thank you all right everybody this is definitely a good news segment i want you all to pass this on pass it on